Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but I woke with the key to hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. Our sermon series so far, A Divine Debrief, The Gospel in the Age of COVID-19, uh, has been about some very practical matters that have impacted our lives over the past year and a half. We've talked about the plagues of the Bible. We've talked about church and state. We've talked about matters of race. And we've explored the, the biblical theme of shibboleth and how it relates to how humans divide themselves. And that is important because the external things of our lives matter. The things going on out there are things that can and many times do make a difference in our day-to-day life. Today, however, I want us to begin uh, an inward turn, because despite all the Bible's practical wisdom about matters of church and state and plagues and social righteousness and race and everything in there, God's word is insistent that the external things, while they are actually important, they are not as important as the internal thing. The external is not important as the internal And to help me make my point, you know, let's go to Psalm 51, this famous psalm where David says to God, God, you don't delight in sacrifices for the sake of sacrifices or else I would make sacrifices all the time. It's not the going through the motions that matter to you, God. It's what what happens behind the sacrifice. It's the contrite and penitent heart behind those sacrifices. That's what really matters. Or when Jesus tells his disciples, uh, as he does in our reading today, he says, everyone's concerned about getting their hands washed. Um, But I'm here to tell you that the hands being dirty isn't the problem because it's not the thing that goes in you that makes you unclean. It's the thing that comes out of you. He says, we can't just blame the outside problems of the world. We can't just blame the external things for the problems uh, of our lives. He says, actually, we have to examine our inward reality too and determine what our culpability is regarding the ills of the world. So I want to follow the Bible's vision here. I want to take a turn uh, for the inward, um, meaning I want us to turn our attention from the external things that have manifested across this pandemic season, and I want to focus on internal matters, what the, the, the matters, in fact, that the Bible say matter the most. And so to begin this inward turn, I want to start our day by becoming a modern day heretic. I'm going to say something today that is heresy in our modern times. I want to talk about the problem of passion. And just hearing me start off like that and saying that there's a problem with passion, you're already going a million miles an hour in your head and you're saying, passion? What's wrong with passion? What's wrong with being passionate? I'm passionate about my family. I'm passionate about my job. I'm passionate about the Steelers. I'm passionate about my community. I'm passionate about my marriage. Pastor Brian, you must be reading the Bible wrong because I don't see what's wrong with passions. 
And, and you're right to some degree, right? When we say passion, what we in English in the year 2021 mean is it basically is enthusiasm, right? If you're a passionate hiker, you're, you really enjoy it and you're enthusiastic about it. Or maybe you're a passionate fisherman. Maybe you're a passionate giver of your time and you volunteer a lot or you are passionate about giving money to good causes, right? That's, that's not what I'm talking about today because the idea of the Bible is that passion is one of the chief problems of human living as the Bible understands it. And we read about this concept in James today, and I want us to begin a bit of helpful self-reflection on our own passions as the Bible understands them. Because in the Bible's eyes, passion is the root of so many problems in the church and in the world. And I hope by that by the time you're done today, you're going to understand more about yourself and your passions as well, uh, and, and the vision that the Bible has for you and your relationships and your relationship with God ahead. I think that's what was at stake here as we talk about this biblical understanding of passions. So let's get into that this morning with the help of St. James. Our reading today is from James chapter 4. Here's how our reading begins. What causes quarrels and fights among you? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now let's just stop there for a moment, right? Because uh, this is the context of the whole uh, book, the whole epistle of James. We don't know a lot about who James is writing to, but from the rest of this letter, we can infer a number of issues. There's a real conflict happening in this church that James is writing to, and much of it stems from a matter of class. There are rich Christians and poor Christians, and they're in conflict with each other. And the rich Christians seem to be treating the poor Christians with contempt. They were probably Jewish Christians too, so this is a church made less of Gentile believers and more Jewish believers. But some of the issues um, were that the poor were being mistreated by have their, having their wages unfairly withheld. Uh, and the poor and the rich take the conflict to court, and that is a whole big deal. And the, the church is showing favoritism and siding with those who have money. And so this whole church is, is being overwhelmed by money and wealth and worldliness. These are all the matters upending the church and causing quarrels in the congregation. Uh, quarrels, right? Quarrels, there's fighting that doesn't have a resolution. Like every church has conflict, right? Every church disagrees and they work through things. But at the end of conflict, you reconcile, you come back together, you become closer than you were before. But quarreling, that's not what happens. So this church is quarreling and causing, uh, there are fights amongst the members of this congregation. So let's pick, me, pick it back up. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions are at war within you. James says that the core of this conflict, the core conflict of the church, is actually not the money and the wealth and the favoritism. He says those are the external matters. The real issue, the thing that's happening is passions, right? And here's how James defines it. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you do not, and then you ask and then you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's the second time James has said passions are the problem in our reading. Notice the language from the Ten Commandments here, right? And notice the Sermon on the Mount language too, right? Um, you do not have, so you murder. Uh, you covet, right? And of course, what does Jesus say about um, uh, murder? Well, if you hate someone, that's the same as murdering. So, you know, this is something that James does. He says, well, you, you're you hating your neighbor and it's the same thing as murder. And so there's something at the core of this reading, right? 
about um, an internal motivation about a thing, and we're not getting the thing, and so the result is quarreling. And the world might look at this church and see all these external trappings about class and money and favoritism, right? And they say, oh, well, this church is fighting about these things. And James says, no, those things aren't the issue. The issue is the passions. For James, the passions are worldly desires uh, for the world's good and ideas. Uh, people who want worldly goods and ideas, those are passions. And this makes sense given the class uh, context of this letter. The, the core of the conflict in the church is people wanting those things that the world says are important and meaningful. The rich, right? They want the latest and the greatest and the most money. That's, that's their passion, the latest and the greatest and the most money. But the poor hate the rich because they also want the latest and the greatest and the most money, but they can't have it, so they just sort of begin to be resentful and angry towards the rich. And so even though they're poor and they're rich, they both want the same thing and it's causing conflict amongst them. James says, it is this passion for the latest and the greatest and the most money, that is the root of the problem. Because the latest and the greatest and the most money, that's worldly concerns. That's not godly concerns. And the fact that you want these things is proof. It's proof positive uh, that your passions are um, controlling you. And it's not just James either, right? There are two Greek words in the Bible that are translated as the word passion. Um, I know Greek, maybe a little much. Uh, stay with me here. This is, I think, very important because the first word that gets translated passion is the Greek word hedone. And it's where we get the word hedonism from. And this is the word that James uses. He says, your hedonism is getting in the way. And there's a second word that gets translated um, as passion as well. And that word is uh, epithemia. Epithemia. And it's that's one of those words that gets translated into lust or desires of the flesh in other Bible readings. And so here's, here's how prevalent a theme this is in the New Testament. Jesus uses this language. Peter uses this language. Paul uses this language. John uses this language. Even Jude, right? We started Jude in our morning Bible study this morning. The, it's, it's a, what, 27, 29 verses. It's a tiny little book in the back of the book. Uh, Bible, he, Jude, even uses this language. The whole of the ancient church testifies that our passions are deepest and our deepest and deeply held desires for worldly things, they are fundamentally a problem. It kind of reminds me of the great Lay's potato chip slogan, right? I, I did know the slogan. I didn't know until I looked it up to confirm it that this company, that, that Lay's debuted this ad slogan in 1963. Uh, do you remember this ad campaign from Lay's potato chips? I bet you can't eat just one. <laughs> And the idea is that this potato chip is so good, it will unlock a secret mental pathway into your spirit and it will bypass your willpower and self-control. And you will be unable to eat a single potato chip and walk away because you will either hedone or you will epithemia a second chip. And so now imagine that instead of a second chip, there's something else there. there there's ungodly things in the world that draw at your desires like a giant cartoon magnet. Jesus says that this is the cause of the quarrels in this particular church. Again, to clarify here, I'm not talking about your hobbies as if they are problems. I mean, maybe they could be. I don't, I don't know what your hobby is. 
but but we're not talking about you know fishing and we're not talking about going on hikes and we're not talking about stamp collecting what i am saying is that deep within your spirit and deep within my spirit is a catalog of worldly desires that are contrary to god's will and the bible calls them passions and says this is a problem what is causing the quarrels in the church james is writing to james says the problem is passion and he goes on he minces no words james does he he, he lays it on thick you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with god therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us to paraphrase this very stark um, sort of uh, verbal tongue lashing from James. James is saying this, the quarrels among you, the thing that's dividing your church and dividing your life, uh, the quarrels among you are caused by these passions, which are fundamentally worldly desires. How unfaithful it is to God to follow these passions. To pursue these passions is to be an enemy of God because you either have the passions as your compass of the world or you have the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't take kindly to the fact that some of us, um, that some of you in the church, says James, are cheating on the Holy Spirit. That you have the Holy Spirit and, and you're, you're trying to, to say you're a Christian, but at the same time, you're following these worldly passions and things are getting in the way. And I really do mean to say that this, is, this view of human life and this view of human nature is um, an American heresy. A modern American heresy. It's the one thing you cannot believe in 2021. The idea that your inner worldly desires, your passions to that end, are things to be followed and embraced and satisfied. That idea is everywhere around us in 20, 2021. Everyone says, you know, listen to your heart. Everyone says, follow your dreams. Everyone says, well, at the end of the day, just search your heart and do what you think is right. And the idea of our time is that these desires that we have are core to our being and should be uncritically studied for how we make decisions in life. And I have to tell you, friends, like I think it's a lie of Satan and it smells like the smoke of hell. Uh, and it's in our music, right? Um, Listen to your heart. That was Roxette in 1988. And then the singer is stuck between an old uh, sort of stable romantic partner and the promise of a new romantic fling. And the singer, she's wondering if she should embrace the new possible romance or stick with the tried and true love she knows. And she says, what? Listen to your heart. There's nothing else you can do. That's part of the chorus. It's in our movies too, right? Uh, Listen with your heart. That's the advice that Pocahontas gets from the grandmother spirit tree in the 1994 Disney movie. And if you're a Native American animist who believes that there's spirits in trees and you want to take your advice from trees, that's fine. But that's not how we Christians do things. It's on our clothes, right? It's a slogan we put on our t-shirts. It's on our stickers. There's a t-shirt shop in town um, right now. There's a a t-shirt in a store window in town. And uh, the t-shirt says, discover what makes your heart sing and do that. And it's in our memes as well. Someone on social media recommended recently that I pay attention to the times. I feel totally at peace and I have no anxiety. And then go back and do that again and again and again and again and again as often as I can. So I took the advice and I watched a lot of Netflix and ate a lot of junk food, (laughs) right? Because I had no total peace and no anxiety when I'm doing that. But of course, we, we can say you know, and point our finger at American culture and say, you know, look at these bad people telling me to follow my my heart and follow my passions. Uh, But these are all external things. 
Those are all the things happening out there. Many of you have talked to me in this season about how uh, how hard it's been because of the quarreling in your midst. You feel like you're you're fighting all the time, and this is just like what James talks about, right? Again, we're not talking about conflict where you where you come together with someone and you work it out and you you resolve the issue and you come back together closer than you were before. We're talking about quarreling, and you've been quarreling um, in person or in heart with local politicians, and you've been quarreling with your adult children about how it's appropriate to be with your grandchildren regarding vaccinations and, and, and masks and the like. And you've been quarreling uh, with your neighbor over the appropriate protocol for visitors. And you've been quarreling with longtime friends about how and when and, and, and the best way to get together. Quarreling, again, it's not the same as conflict, right? Because when we, when we have conflict with those around us, we resolve them. But this season... Um, like James says, we're quarreling. We're quarreling with our spouses. We're quarreling with our parents. We're quarreling with our kids, whether they're little kids or adult kids. We're quarreling with each other. And the temptation in all of this is to point to somewhere else and say the issue of the root or the cause of this, this quarreling is out there. Or if this other person would just get their passions in line, everything would be better. But James offers a different solution. And it is one... Uh, of an emotional inversion, as it were. He says this, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, sadness mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So if I had to summarize James's solution to the problem of passion, I, I, I said it a moment ago, I'd call it this emotional inversion. Because James is inviting his readers to repent, to submit themselves to the will of God, resist the devil, to draw near to God, to cleanse their hands and purify their hearts. But notice also that he invites this emotional response as well. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James is, is just is prescribing a change of emotional state for these quarreling Christians. He's saying, you think you're righteous, you think you're brave, you think you're standing up for the right thing. The reality is, is if you're quarreling like this, then somebody's got to repent. And the answer is, everyone's got to repent. And that's the thing. When you realize that the external problems of the world aren't the core issue prevailing in your life. When you realize that the things happening outside of the walls of your home and about 100 feet beyond that, when you realize that these are the things, um, those external things aren't what are defining your life, um, that each of us bear some culpability uh, in some manner for for the development of our own hardest hardships, the result could be devastating. Right, uh, James says, be wretched, weep, and mourn. We might actually need to have a good cry once we realize some of the things that we uh, are, are culpable of doing in our own lives. Right, You might need to be wretched and mourn and weep for a season. Mourning and gloom may be the appropriate responses to the situation we find ourselves in. Uh, but that is not the final story. 
Because the two Greek words that I told you about, the, those two Greek words, they occur 42 times in the entirety of the Bible. Uh, New Testament specifically. So most of the time, these words are used, um, hedone and epimathia. These words that mean passion, uh, 41 out of 42 times, these words are spoken purely in negative terms. The disciples, the apostles, Jesus say, beware your passions. Your passions are bad. Passions are for pagans. God gives pagans over to their passions. Get married to keep your passions under control. 41 out of 42 times, these words have a desire that is contrary to God's will. It's like, well, that's 41 out of 42, Brian. What's what's the, what's the that one extra one? And I'll tell you about it. There's this very odd moment when this Greek word is used in a way that may make you scratch your head. Because it comes at the end of Luke's gospel, when Jesus sits down to eat his last supper. It is a Passover Seder, you'll remember, and this is a Jewish religious feast. And Jesus knows that in the next, you know, 12 hours from this dinner, he will be arrested by the temple guard and he will be tried and he will be um, uh, crucified. Jesus knows he has less than 24 hours to live. And in Luke eleven twenty two, Jesus is, it tells his disciples this. He says, I have an epimathia to eat this Passover with you before I supper suffer. He says, I have a burning passion to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus says, in the same way that the rest of the world um, longs after money and power and wealth and satisfaction and and, and um, romantic intimacy and all of the things that the world says are good and you should go for, in the same way that the world says, follow your dreams and do all these things, Jesus says, I have that but it's about dinner tonight. <laughs> it's about dinner tonight. Because this Passover meal, this last supper, this particular Passover meal is something that has Jesus's spirit and soul and mind on fire. He's desiring to eat this dinner. Uh, he longs to eat this dinner. He yearns to eat this dinner. You know, it's theologically inappropriate to say it this way, but we can joke about it, right? That Jesus is like lusting to eat this dinner with his disciples. Because you see, this Last Supper is not like the other Passovers Jesus would have celebrated with his disciples. But this specific Passover, Jesus is going to take the opportunity to insert himself into the great feast of his people. The Passover feast is a memorial feast, a reminder feast that tells a story of Israel's redemption and rescue from Egypt by God. And this feast, this Passover feast, it's like, here is what God does to rescue and save people. And we're going to do it with bread and wine. And, I'm gonna, and we're going to remember it that way. And then Jesus comes along and says, hey, I need to tell you a story about a new thing God is going to do. I need you to, 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 to think about a new way that God is going to save the world. And let me explain it to you with this bread and this wine. And Jesus was epimathia about this. He was earnestly seeking, pining, yearning, passionate to preach the gospel to his disciples with this bread and this wine. He wanted to communicate to them the reality of the redemption that was going to take place over the next 72 hours. And he could not wait to make this happen. He was that excited, passionate. He wanted it to happen. Because unlike you and me, when Jesus has passions, they are not worldly passions. Jesus does not covet. Jesus does not hate in his heart to murder. 
Jesus does not get told no in his prayers by God because his prayers are for worldly passions or things of that sort. Jesus, friends, is the only human who can follow his heart, who can listen to his heart, follow his gut, do what he thinks is right, and not be swayed wayward by the desires of this world or the hedonic impulse. Jesus does not have the problem of passion that we do. So when we snap at our kids, not because they're doing something especially wrong, but because their actions embarrass us in front of other adults, right? That's a worldly desire. That's a passion. Jesus does not have that problem. And when we criticize someone's effort at work, not because they're right or they're wrong, but because we think of them as a rival and we feel like we need to bring their, take them down a peg uh, in, the, in, the, in the boardroom meeting, uh, that's a worldly desire and a passion. And Jesus doesn't have that problem. And when we say snide things about our neighbors because they chose a paint color for their house we didn't like, when we go into unreasonable financial debt for the overly expensive uh, statement vehicle, when we break Christian fellowship over unimportant theological matters, these are all worldly desires. They are passions that drive all of our members, and Jesus doesn't have those problems. Which is why for hundreds, if not a thousand years or so, Christians have specifically called Jesus' suffering and death the passion of the Christ. Because while our passions are worldly, Jesus' passions are otherworldly, fully in tune with the desires of the Heavenly Father who wants to fix this world. So when James has to get hearts with the church for their quarreling, the heart of the matter is that their passions do not reflect the passion of the Christ. They do not have uh, a world-free heart like Jesus has, and that is the root of it all. And so for all of us today in our quarrels in the year 2021, um, if I were to bring forward this exhortation in the Bible from James to our own time, if I were to address the same matters as James using modern day language, I might say something to you like this. Friends, submit yourselves, therefore, to God and his standard and not the standards of this world. Resist the temptation to blame the outside world for your quarrels and problems. Your problems are internal. Your worldly passions are driving you mad. Take a deep breath, examine your heart, and discover anew how much the petty things of this world still matter to you. Sober up, turn off your phones and your televisions, and shed a tear for the ways in which you have broken God's world because you wanted that same world for yourself. Because, friends, if you can engage in this act of humiliation, what you will find is that there is God himself, lowly and hanging on a cross, ready to raise you up and make you a new person. And so may we today, all by God's grace, leave this place a little less passionate and a little more humble. In Jesus' name. Amen. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, lay down in grief, broke with the keys, fell on that day, firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ saved.
Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.